You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast live at Connect Tech 2022. My name is Jesse Tomchak, uh, architect at this.labs. Um, today, we are joined by Paige, who is going to talk to us about uh, Vue, Tailwind CSS, and Vite. Paige, welcome to Connect Tech. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So, conferences are back. They're sort of bubbling slowly. Uh, is this your first one back since everything, or have you done... Have you been to one since? This is actually my second one since everything happened. Um, I did ViewConf earlier this year in Fort Lauderdale, and that was actually the first conference I ever got to speak at. So it was pretty exciting. First one back and first one speaking at. Nice. Connect Tech as well. It's Connect Tech. So now two in this year, so you're like a seasoned veteran where the rest of us are like coming out of our shells, like three years in hibernation, like trying to, trying to get used to the sunlight. How has the mood like been since did you do conferences a lot before so i actually only attended one conference before and that was also viewconf but it was it was the last thing i did before everything shut down was i went to viewconf in 2019 or maybe it was 2020 it was the last one they had before the shutdown yeah but the the vibe at that one was a little off too because we were just finding out about COVID. Oh, so it was so like we early 2020. Like, so like yeah, we weren't allowed to shake hands. You had to like foot high five. Was one of the things they were suggesting was everybody, that we did. Yeah, was everybody masking yet? No, I don't think masking was even like a big thing yet. But it was like right before the shutdown, so it was. It, that was a weird time, and that was my only other conference experience. So okay. I'd say this is more normal than it was before. Leaps and bounds better. <laughs> yeah. So I had done conferences for, you know, attended and, and tried to go to as many as possible because they're fun, right? They sort of re-energize you and get you excited and you take that back to work and, and, and then you sort of work through it until the next conference. Uh, but people are super outgoing and far more uh, engaging here. I think because it's maybe their first conference, they're sort of getting out and about um, and you just gave your talk a little earlier today. How did that go? It's your, you said it was your second talk. Yeah, it's my second time doing a talk. Um, I did it on the same topic as I did on ViewConf at ViewConf, except I switched it up just a little bit. I was using the Vue CLI at ViewConf and I switched over to Vue. It went really well. Um, do you I, get really nervous when you give a talk? Or do you have to practice a lot? Or do you just like roll low in like with slides and oh just God, sort of I wish I and just roll low in right with <laughs> slides? Oh no, I probably practice more than any other speaker just because I'm so new at it. I had my talk done like probably two, three weeks ago and I have been practicing it like once a day, almost every single day just so I could have it memorized. I have like a really good team too back at Pax8 where I work and I've had a lot of my coworkers actually let me like practice. Demo like, on them. Demo on them. And some of them have probably heard how to build a component library like three or four times. So yeah, I have a really good support system for practicing on my talk, so. Nice, so do you do like brown bag lunch them, like pull them in and be like, hey, I'm gonna get my talk again. And they're just like, oh, great, Paige. Okay, we'll do it again. Or do you just like put a meeting in their calendar and then they show up and you're like, hey, I'm giving my talk again and just like blindside them or, a combination. A combination. Um, That's, you know, yeah. sometimes you sneak attack like, them. Surprise! Surprise! It's my conference talk again. 
<laughs> he's like, oh, again. Oh, no. They're like texting anyone who hasn't shown up yet. Run! <laughs> That's basically what happened. Perfect. So you're in Denver at PAX 8, um, do, I, and I assume, based on your talk, doing view with Veet and Tailwind? Yeah, so I started our internal component library project a little over a year ago, and it is a component library that uses Vue, Veet, and Tailwind. So my presentation was basically like a really simplified version of what I'm doing every single day at work. Okay. so. Are we on, so I learned this this morning, so you're gonna to need to help me through this because I'm not deep into the V community. Uh, V3 is out. We're doing a migration from 2.6, 2.7 came out, and then there's a migration to three. I think you're mixing up V and View, right? Yes, uh, sorry, View, yes. You, see, this, <laughs> v is, words. this is where it's starting already. So uh, View is out three, and 2.6 and 2.7 is, is like what we're migrating from or, or current and then up to three. Can you, can you help me out? Can you explain the view? Where, where are you? So you started a year ago. Where are you at with this whole, like put, give me like a rundown so of your stack. View three was already out when I started building my library. So that was nice for me. So you I just started to, with three. Yeah, I okay. just started with three, but I started with the view CLI and three. So I did do a migration over from the view CLI to beat for my component library. We do have a few other like applications at work that are using Vue 2, and we're going through um, more of a migration with those. The solution we found for a lot of that has been switching up our architecture a bit. As our company's gotten a lot bigger, we've had to re-architect how we um, have our big monolith application set up. So we are moving that over to more of a micro front end situation micro front ends oh micro front ends such yeah a, and then slowly moving away each at that. piece over from view two to view three okay so you were able to start in view three and what was like in i've heard component library now multiple times for view is this a view specific thing that, that we're building because like in like um i spend most of my time in react and like we have design components or like reusable components. So when I'm talking about a component library, I guess like the easiest way to explain it is to relate it to something you've already used before. So like, have you ever used like Bootstrap, I think would be the most popular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Okay. That, that's all it is. So just like a, a reusable sort of like building blocks of like, okay, we have a standard sort of business uh, like button and table view or list view that is styled or styleable. Yeah. Yeah, so the way that the component library really gets built out is first it starts at UX. So we have a UX team that has built out a design system specific for our company. And what a design system is, is just like a set of standards and like the fonts, the colors, how they all work together, sizings. And then they design components. And then my team on design systems who are working with the component library, we translate their designs into like a tangible button, I guess as tangible as something that is code could be, button that all the other teams could use on their project. And okay. then it takes in the design system styling so they don't have to worry about adding that in later. Right, so, cause I've worked in, in several enterprises, like we always had like the, the component pack that had like the buttons and stuff. So I never needed to know 
the brand blue hex, I could always just pull in the button and it was like the right, it had the right shade and the right activation and the right hover thing. Is yeah. that, am I, am I Yeah, hit? that's it. Okay, so, perfect. Yeah, like every single developer doesn't need to worry about what hex is there and hovering and everything else. We'll just do that. Otherwise you end up with like 37 shades of blue on buttons across your website. Oh yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's awful. And so you started this last year. Is this, are we doing, when you started, were you doing a replacement for an existing system? Was this just a need born out of, because you said you guys grew a lot. So tell me a little bit about PAX 8 and like how, how did you end up doing this? So we started off like our, our dev team started off a lot smaller. Um, we had one kind of monolith application and it was originally an Angular when I got there using Bootstrap for their components. So we went through like a two-year migration to get off of AngularJS. Oh, AngularJS, amazing. AngularJS. Oh. Yes. Um, yeah, so we moved it over from AngularJS to Vue 2. That was the framework that we decided we wanted to move towards. It was about like, I guess now it's been like three years. Three years. What we was, started. were you part of that decision to move over to Vue 2? I was more of like, uh, I wasn't in a decision-making position at that point, so I was more like asked by us and you're like, hey, how does this sound to you? I was like, I don't know what that is, but Great, sounds move good. it over, let's, I'm let's in. Let's do it, I'm down to learn some non-Angular stuff. Oh man, especially AngularJS, I, I too. I loved Angular, <laughs> I I learned on Angular. Yeah, that's like, fair. That was my first framework, so I can't okay. get on it, but yeah, I, I that's really love you. We had, uh, a long time ago we had, we moved from jQuery to half, we got halfway into Backbone and then made a sharp left at AngularJS. So like there was years where we I, we were still, we had like a jQuery file that was like 1200 lines that was just like all smashed together. And then like AngularJS that we all worked in and like we would slowly chip away at this file. And, and that's what, it's funny cause that's what I recall when I think about AngularJS is just slowly chipping away at this, this jQuery file until eventually it was gone. And then we all celebrated and then a, Angular to Angular came out and JS was like, oh, now what do we move to? And so yeah. like, I feel sad for Angular JS. That's kind of like where we were. Like we, we were at Angular and then we're like, now Vue. We and got there. And then, then we got there left. and literally they were like, Vue 3 is here. <laughs> and that's, I guess, that's just like the nature of what we do though. Frameworks yeah. Evolve, well, we talked about change. future proofing. So yeah. uh, for those listeners out there, me and Paige were on a lunchtime panel talking about the web uh, platform, web, future, of the, future web. of the web. Thank you. I was like, I was like, why can I only remember Homer We're talking telling, about the internet? Yeah. We, you know, the internets, uh, a series of tubes. Um, we were talking about the future of the web and it's like, how do you future proof? And as you have just heard, we don't really future proof, right? We, you know, we have just been running, have running from framework to framework, looking for better, faster, more viable options. Um, so the move from two to three, was that like you got to two and it was like, oh, three's here. Did you, was the jump easy? Did you just tag along? We haven't really jumped yet. Our monolith application is still in um, Vue 2. Okay. I, we do have like some smaller independent applications like my component library that are using Vue 3. And then it's gonna be a migration using the micro front end architecture. Okay, so the components are made for Vue 3. Are they backwards compatible? They are not, <laughs> which is, yeah, a problem with them, but um, 
I think one of the big advantages, though, is if somebody told me that I had to make them backwards compatible or, like, make it for Vue 2, it wouldn't be as big as a, a lift as taking, like, some outside thing and having to, like, switch everything out. Like, it would yeah. probably take us, like, maybe... I, I'm not going to give a... A small time. amount of time. It, yeah, not, uh, less than, like... Terribly, way less. Plus, um... There is, uh, so I was talking, this is a great, so this is a really great thing about conferences is we were talking with uh, Jessica earlier today and she was compiling libraries for view three and view two simultaneously as an output target. And the library was called, is called Petite. I'll get you the details and we'll put it in the show notes. That might be of interest to you. I almost have no idea what I just said because I was just part of the conversation. So I don't know if that would be helpful or not, but that's like, so in the, in your system where you're moving up to, so you've got a design system in three, what does this micro front end look like when you, when it gets, when it starts to hit the road, like when it starts to get implemented, what does that look like? Like from the code side or the user side? Uh, mostly from like the, like the architectural side where you've got like, uh, are they any new app in Vue three is going to consume that that um, component library? Is it in a monolith? Is it how are you orchestrating? Are you in so, charge of the layout of the page for the smaller uh, pieces? So the way that it's going to work, and like I'm going to also preface this with I'm not in charge of the micro front end architecture okay. project, but I do work alongside the guys or the people, group that is yeah the people that are doing it. Okay. Um, because so, you seem to be like an integral part of this service. Yeah, we do work standing, like very right? hand in hand. Um, we we try to keep each other up to date on our projects, just so we like know like uh, where's because it's not deployed yet. They're still working on it, and they need to know where my stuff is. Um, yes, yeah, so the way it's going to work is it's going to be a shell that's going to take in different um, kind of standalone applications. That's going to work all together to create what the end user is going to see as one cohesive app. And the way that we're going to kind of seamlessly do this with the component library is we're using theming. So I'm passing in a theme that's going to mimic what we have already inside of the monolith, but it's also going to be able to be themed as something that looks a little different and more modern at the same time if you pass in a different theme and you're using it in one of our standalone applications. So we could have the monolith like being converted over while we're also designing new and modern things quickly. Oh, nice. And the so the theme config, is it just a, a matter of, um, is it using like? Using CSS variables for Okay. Yeah. So just easily be like, I'm thinking like when I think themes, I think like light, dark, and then you can always pass in a couple different ones that that adjust like the color palette and some of like the other variable they, they basically oh, like. Oh, no, we, we're, is it like we, wildly? Yeah. Okay. That's, I think the standard is what you're describing. Yeah, that, but we're like having like legacy version versus like more modern version. So like we have a lot of tokens that we're keeping track of, but it's like a really powerful thing. And I have a lot of really great, like smart people that I'm working with. So it's, it's been going along pretty smoothly. And so I is that like theme token, like that uh, theme that you're passing in, is it basically a whole different CSS bundle? It sounds drastically different. Um, no, it's actually way simpler okay. than you'd think it would be. Like, it sounds like this big scary thing, but like with CSS variables, we're basically passing in 
uh, data theme property that'll tell it like which theme to use and then okay. it's swapping out um, just the um, the mapping for from one to the other is there just the two theme? themes there's two theme families <laughs> with I'm actually thinking of doing a talk on theming. The, and first of all, this sounds, yeah, I think you had to think, because I'm like, okay, so tell me how this no, works. Like, it's like so cool. The power of CSS variables and like what we can do right now with just like, like just CSS is crazy. We've basically got two theme families that have like light mode, dark mode, and it's like a surprisingly simple code to get this done. It's complicated to figure out what it's supposed to look like and how to name the tokens and like, all of those little details. The implementation's pretty, pretty simple. Pretty yeah, okay, because it sounds super, super complicated. It's not. So it's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, I, it's not the most complicated thing. Oh, well, I think we found your next topic for your next talk. Yeah, I, I was thinking about submitting something with that, but I hadn't like really like thought through the details of what I'd be talking about because I think the coding part of it is so simple. I'd be like. And here is this. Yeah. The it, end. <laughs> it may not need to be like a live coding example, but like. I could give a lightning talk on it. That's how simple the coding is. Yeah, that would be great. Because like, like, I know there's, you know, in the, the day that we've spent here, you know, since this morning, um, most of the people I have talked to are in some sort of migration. Like they have an old thing and a new thing. Like we mentioned Webpack right before we, we, we started here and everyone's got like a Webpack they're trying to get rid of, but you're on beat now. so did you have to deal with any sort of, like you've got your legacy theme, is there any legacy configuration that you have to deal with or are you pretty greenfield, free and clear of that stuff? When we started, it was like pretty greenfield. Um, yeah, we didn't have to deal with like too much on the configuration side because it was a pretty new project. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't the hardest. Okay, good. So you didn't have like this like monstrosity webpack config that needed to be like bespokely moved over into V? No, and I got about like halfway through it and then I passed it over to one of my coworkers. So admittedly, I didn't go all the way through the process, but it didn't take him too much longer to like get through it. So I'm assuming he wasn't like losing his mind trying to yeah, switch it over. Yeah, because I feel, yeah, if it had been super frustrating, I'm sure like you would have heard about it. You would have heard definitely something about it. Oh, probably. What it did probably you wouldn't have gotten done. Yeah. What did <laughs> you do? You would have been like, here, you do this. Why did you give this to me? This is awful. I don't want this. No, it, it seemed like it was a pretty painless thing to do. Oh, excellent. So as the team has grown um, that you mentioned in PAX 8, is there adjustments or things that you've done into the design system. So comes in from the from the design team, we're making design components, they're building apps uh, that are going into the, I'm always like vastly interested in the idea of like microservices of like, who's in charge of all these things? And it sounds like you have a concrete answer that I'm gonna take back to work and be like, there's a team that orchestrates these things. Yeah, platform engineering, and then you have governance. So we, we had to like change a lot of architecture of like our actual team structure when we started getting bigger, um, we all, the first thing we did before we like decided we're gonna adopt this new like micro front end architecture is we read like the O'Reilly book on like micro front ends and microservices. And uh, it touched a lot on like having your team structure kind of mimic what you're building or like 
I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, yeah. but yeah, so like we had to put in governance for like different things that we we're gonna put in place. We have a, a platform engineering team that was like kind of a newer thing that we put into place for um, kind of figuring out like general things for the actual engineering team instead of like focusing on end products. That That's also where like, yeah, just a lot of stuff going through there and different changes that we made for that. Yeah. So. I think one of the things for micro front ends is you've got this idea of like a platform engineering team. Um, I always call them the, the orchestration team. Like who's in charge of putting the things on the final page? Like who owns the final dotted outline yeah, shell? A lot of that goes back to platform engineering. Yeah, it's like, you're like, oh, I just, it's great. Microservice, these front end microservices are great. We build these, these small nimble apps and we iterate on them. And I was like, well, where do they go? Like who's in charge of putting, the, <laughs> putting the thing on the page? And they're like, like not us. That's always good to know who's in charge of where the thing goes and put like who's in charge of the thing is like a really good thing to know. Yeah. And then my follow up question is, is always like, okay, so you're building this like small nimble app, this like feature app that is part of a larger thing that's self like yours is isolated. And it, I think about if it is like, let's take a side panel for instance, like, what does your daily dev workflow look like when you work on just the side panel? Like when you open it up, is there, do you have just this dotted outline on your page? that's like, this is where the rest of the app goes, but there's nothing there for you. And you have this little tiny app over here. Like, can you help me sort of visualize <laughs> what they're doing in these microservices? Uh, with the microservices, I wouldn't really be able to tell you. I haven't worked on the microservices or the micro front ends themselves because I've been in the component library part of it. But so you're talking about like if you were a micro front end, like working yeah. On one so like I consume design. your components. Like what what does it look like? Like is it like do I just is it a standard view app that is built that is consuming your components? Yeah, it's, it's just not, like there's any, no like special like uh, configuration that I have to like accept uh, from platform engineering or know from you to like get all this to work. Or can I just be like npm install uh, at page slash components? So I don't want to tell you anything wrong, but what I understand, like for the component library, mm -hmm. you would just do an install on the component library if you're just trying to work with my stuff and it would be there. It's just like a component library, like you'd get out in the wild. Like, yeah, like I would just pull bootstrap and then be like bootstrap slash buttons. Yeah, you don't like have that. to have like a dotted line where it's going to go in the future. You just npm install like any package and it's there. The only difference is ours is in like a private GitHub versus like public one, but if it was in a public domain, anybody with a Vue 3 application would be able to just do the same install and have access to all the components. Okay. So as we're building this thing and you've got your components, I've, I love where you're at in this, like between the design and the building components, how do you work with these components? Like you, let's say I say, hey, I need a new list from you. Like where do you start? So I would start by saying, Hey UX, I need a design for a new list oh. for oh, okay. your team. I, I have um, this new design for a, a drop-down yeah, list. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, here so you go. I, ha I have the design for the drop-down list. There, we so did that real quick. It looks amazing, by the yeah, way. Yeah, it's beautiful. You can't see it. Amazing. Oh, my God. Best list ever. Best list ever. All right. So we're taking this list, the best list ever, and I'm just going to start like building it like I would a list that would be in any application page. I'm also using Storybook so I could see some of this stuff. So if I want to start okay. building in Storybook, that's a good way to go. Or I could just do it on like my app.view, start building it out. 
storybooks probably best practices because I could swap out the props while I'm yeah. doing it. But just build it like any component. Like that's how it starts out. And then I just need to make sure that I have it registered in the correct places so it gets output with the rest of my component library when it builds. Oh, so do you have a special, you know, like you have a project that has a build step that spits all of them out as into the, like does it bundle into a single package? Yeah. Okay, so it's not like I need to go get uh PAX 8 list. I just get PAX 8 components and they're all just subcomponents in that library? Is it like one package library or is it like a bunch of little ones? It's one package. Okay. Yeah. Or it we support tree shaking, so if you just want like your super awesome list, just all you have list. to do is like import in just the list from the component library package and you'll have just that. Okay. I'm trying to so I'm trying to work backwards from all the enterprise like design component libraries I have used in the past and none of them have been, I mean, this was many years ago, but none of them have ever been like super friendly um, as far as like discoverability. Do they have like, is there like a, a, do you guys have like a demo page internally where I can go play with like, yeah. I need to find, so I'm a developer and I need to find an awesome list. How do I find you? Or how do I, I find awesome lists that so you just made? your internal developer that mm -hmm. needs my awesome list. So we've worked really hard on my team to make sure our dev experience is really good. We've actually like held like a little panel of our users when it was, we have it in like what we call alpha mode. I know it's not like official cause it's internal, but we're saying like use at your own risk right yeah, now. Still, we might make breaking changes. Still goes through those but phases. We get really great user feedback. We have like a really good set of front end developers that's been using our library, giving us some GitHub issues internally to like work on. Oh, nice. We had a feedback loop. So one of the big things was documentation. We, we have two ways you could interact with our components. First, we're using Storybook if you want to like actually play with them, pass in the props, like see what it looks like for those different things. The other way you could, as a developer, interact with it is we have a documentation site. So just like you'd go online for like Bufy or Bootstrap or whatever you're deciding to use. And it shows like code snippets for like how you want it. We list out all your different props. Um, yeah, I'm thinking like the Tailwind site has like a button and then it has like you have the little tabs in the corner where you can see like code show yeah, me code that's and exactly it, what we have same thing brilliant okay yeah. how do you build the documentation oh that's fun um <laughs> so it's yeah. automated yeah it's automated I right it's automated oh. some of the storybook stuff was automated um but then uh, we started looking at all of these like complicated solutions for documenting component libraries like i don't want to name drop anything but they were like bigger content management systems for it and we we're gonna have to like pay for them and they seemed like really bulky and we we're gonna have maintenance anyway and i asked my managers like would you mind if i just tried hand rolling out our documentation site so it's just like a view site we actually found like it had a double benefit that we didn't see coming which is i built our doc site using the component library so then I was finding bugs that I would have never found inside a storybook because the components were isolated in there. And then when I put them in a real life situation, one, I was, I was becoming my own user. So I was feeling a lot of the pain points that the other devs were feeling. And I was able to make the component library better by using it. Also, I found bugs that I wouldn't have found without somebody else telling me about. And we have a nice hand-rolled documentation site, but I, I've really liked that solution. There were probably better other ways to do it. I wouldn't say better, but there there were options and I kind of liked the one we went with. Yeah, like my first, I think my first inclination is like, oh, you could have just like docusourced the whole thing and been like, just take all the thing and just spit out 
the the like the standard documentation. I really like the idea that you had to build the documentation site with your own components. And it reflects the component library. And then when you change the theme, the whole doc site changes with your component Which library theme. Super rad. Yeah, and I, I really like being a user of the thing that I built too. Like, yeah. Because I, I know what I want. I'm a developer, so. It's sort of dog fooding and, and self. That's, that's what my manager keeps calling it. He's like, we're dog fooding it. Oh, like, stop yeah. calling it dog food. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's probably a term left over from like the 90s. It's fine. We, we could dog food it. Yeah, it's not a very good term. It really isn't. Um, so that that works for documentation, publishing. The We've got platform and we've got component users. And you've got a, I, the, so you had a small internal group using this and giving you feedback in alpha before it was even like out, like finished and ready to go? Yes. Did that just happen or did Sumble stumble across? Was this um, intentional? Well, it came about because of most of our stuff was in Vue 2, but now we're making these Vue 3 applications and we needed a component, like our component library we were using before was Bufy. And Bufy was, it was great, but it was more compatible with Vue 2 and not compatible with Vue 3. So all of the teams were starting up these Bespoke. Um, View three applications needed something to use, and they um, they were nice enough to use our component library in alpha mode to give us feedback, and um, yeah, so that's how that kind of worked out. Nice. Does that uh, feedback and like I always find that like when I find like when I find something that's like early and like open to feedback or like actively like hey here's a thing it was helpful for me um, like giving feedback creates this sort of uh, two-way street of ownership. Yeah. It, like, I've been at companies where, like, the components team is, like, I've, I used their library for many years, but never had seen anybody that even existed on this component team. Uh, and it wasn't a great big organization either. Like, they just, it came down as a bespoke, like, when there were updates, there were breaking changes, and we just sort of ate it downstream. Um, um, and that's more company culture, but, yeah. like, have the the groups that are working with you have they bought in is onboarding them early in that process been part of getting that feedback do they take ownership and and sort of like do you still get feedback like how long has this system been out you said about a year we started it a year ago i would say like it it's been like out out for probably like three four months so it's like not super like done, old, done, yeah it's like in flight one of the things that I've really liked about, like, you're talking about, like, getting adoption by, like, helping contribute to it is we've kind of adopted, like, a, like an internal open source, as, like, weird as that is. Like, no, that makes ter so, perfect like, sense. I, I tell everyone, like, hey, if you want to, like, contribute to the component library, just, like, hit me up. I'll talk to my manager. You talk to your manager. If you have scope, if, like, you want to contribute something to it, like, this is our component library it's for my whole team like me and the devs that are working with me we built it for them so we want them to be able to contribute if they want we want it to be what they want it to be so like yeah so we have like a kind of like weirdly internal open source like model for it and i hope to make it more like collaborative in the future too we're still working like some kinks out trying to get it perfect but yeah do you have uh one thing that i have always found super helpful in these situations is like uh, contribution, like maybe your documentation already has this, but like a contribution guide and like how to stand up the, this specific project and like run it and bundle it and make changes. Well, 
since it is internal, we do have like the docs for like getting started yeah, on yeah. the GitHub. Yeah, not for um, like public share, but like for the, your internal group. Yeah, and it, it's all there. It, one of the things though is we do have to like kind of keep a close eye on it right now since it's so new. We can't just be like here, like fork it and make your changes and try to like PR and PR like, them upstream. It, it's more of a like formal process. Okay. Where we have to get like permission from everybody to like yeah. be able to like take in the extra resources. But we, I have gotten a lot of people to contribute to it, and I feel like it. I think it's exciting, and I think some of the other front ends think it's exciting too. Yeah, because, that is like, super exciting. Building a component library, like we've all used them. Um, being able to like see how they're built and like interact with one, I I find it exciting. It, yeah, that's super great. Like I love the like I mean we've all consumed them, but the idea of, of getting others to contribute as a larger group and uh, your doc site using your own component library, like I. I think of Tailwind and Bootstrap when I think about component libraries, but like their documents are pretty, not generic, but they're pretty like vanilla. Like I'm wondering how much they, how much they got out of building them um, or if they're more automated and, and published internally. I'm not super sure about them. I think we like looked into like Daisy UI was our big inspiration okay. for that. And when you look at their doc site, I didn't build it and I haven't like drilled into it too much, but it does look like it's built with their own stuff. And that's, that was like my, I want our doc site to look like this. You're like, it should be themed and like used from the doc site. I think maybe that, that also contributes a lot to other people helping or pitching in. It's like, if it was just a generated doc site, like if I, if I hit a doc site and I see that it's just a vanilla docusaurus thing, I'm just like, like this isn't, this might not be super useful. Yeah. Right. Uh, but when you see something that is themed and using your components, you're like, oh, okay, like it, it, it looks like there's more effort or, or investment or there than, than like a rubber stamp sort of it, like if you see like a swagger API site, you just sort of roll your eyes and go, oh, this is awful. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. So you're a veteran speaker because uh, you've been to two conferences this and spoken twice this year. Uh, well, since things shut down. So that puts you twice ahead of me. Um, are you headed to any more conference? I know holiday season, we're coming up to the end of 2022. You doing more conferences? No, this was actually, I only had ViewConf, which was kind of like a, a sporadic decision to apply to my first conference. And then while I was there, um, I ended up applying to Connect Tech. And this is kind of where my conference is in for this year. But I, I got to do that theming talk now yes we need a you know it's, we need a blog post and a talk on theming yeah with css variables because honestly while the code is probably you know you said it was very sort of simplistic when you get right down to the nuts and bolts the abstract idea and getting there i think is really foggy for most of us so i would like yeah. that yeah well hopefully next year i'll be able to go to a different conference give that talk blog post is probably a good idea too start with that but, do the talk get yeah. it in do the submission pick a couple next year and we'll see you on the stage at viewconf 2023 oh, wow yes <laughs> hopefully yeah 20 yeah 2023 yeah that would be fantastic well where can you know as we wrap up the show where can everybody find you um and look forward to possibly your blog post that we've now got you on the hook for so I've actually never wrote a blog post before, so you will not be able to find any of those anywhere, but <laughs> coming soon, theming blog posts somewhere by me. Um, I hear Mastodon is a great place these days. I was just going to say, you can follow me on Twitter at Paige C. Kelly. It's Kelly with an EY. Um, I 
not on Mastodon yet, but it seems like where all the cool kids are going since Twitter's basically on fire. A topic for another day. Yes, yes, another day. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Jesse Tomshock uh, at this.labs. That is all for us today. Thank you for listening to the Modern Web Podcast uh, with Paige Kelly on View, Veet, and Tailwind CSS components. We even dipped into micro front-end services. Uh, Adam, if you're listening, this is for you. Uh, I work with Adam and we fight about micro front ends all the time. So mm-hmm. this is really right there. Um, thank you so much for listening to us and we will see you next time. Come on. Come on, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot co slash labs. We're